explore going beyond traditional periodization uh, with, you know, traditional three up, one down, start to read and explore about block style training, and then the specificity of the goal event that you're trying to achieve. And dig deep into getting to know yourself and don't be afraid to go out there and find the edge because you don't know where it's at until you go find it. That's Triathlon Show 211. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview coach Adam Palford of Carmichael Training Systems. Adam works with both amateur and professional cyclists, as well as exterior triathletes, and uh, even though I thought initially going into this interview that we would be talking very cycling-centric topics on reflection i have to say that it kind of is and it isn't because so many of the topics that we end up discussing are really very general to endurance sports rather than just being cycling specific even though we do use cycling specific examples to illustrate so even if you have no interest in cycling training if you are a triathlete looking for triathlon information definitely do not skip this episode go ahead and listen to it and i'm sure you'll find a lot of valuable nuggets in there before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsor, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. You can go and get a free hydration plan. It's easy. You will just answer 10 questions in an online quiz. They are all qualitative. But based on them, Precision Hydration has done research that uh, basically ends up uh, giving you a really good estimate for how much sodium you lose in your sweat and that can then be used to form a race hydration strategy that you'll get once you finish that quiz. So you'll have a ready-made hydration plan and you can use that plan regardless of whether you use precision hydration products or not. I would of course recommend precision hydration, that's what I use and love, and you can try your first box or tube of precision hydration electrolytes for free with the promo code that triathlon show all on word all caps. And big thanks to Roka that you can find on Roka.com. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear. And they are the perfect one-stop shop when it comes to Christmas shopping for your triathlon friends and family members that are into triathlon. You can check out all they have to offer and you can rest assured that any product that Roka puts out has gone through really extensive R&D and uh, is probably going to be uh, the best on the market because they just put so much effort into the quality and the small details of their products. You can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps, on roca.com. Without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Adam Palfer. Welcome to That Triathlon Show, Adam, or today maybe we will have the nickname That Cycling Show because we're talking cycling today. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. Thanks for having me part of this. It's uh, a pleasure, and uh, this is something that I thought about earlier this uh, uh, this fall, that I wanted to, to bring some episodes with a focus outside of triathlon, uh, specifically you know, on on the podcast, like running-focused uh, episodes and cycling-focused episodes. So 
you are a coach for uh, Carmichael Training Systems, and uh, that's when I think of cycling. That's one of the coaching businesses that my mind goes to, and that's how we got connected. But in addition to that, can you just give us an introduction to yourself and who you are for the listeners that do not know you? Sure, yeah. Uh, so again, my name is Adam Pulford, and I've been a full-time coach uh, with CTS since 2006. And uh, I guess I was full-time um, in in the office in Colorado Springs. We have uh, uh, four locations across the United States. And um, I was full-time for about eight years. And then for the past five years, I've been uh, coaching as well as directing or managing professional cycling teams, uh, mountain bike and road. Um, and along with that is, has always been, how do I help elevate an athlete's performance? How do I help them develop their full potential in sport? And I've always taken that mantra or that focus, um, into whatever team or whatever athlete that I'm working with. And yeah, it just so happens that I kind of carved a, a niche in mountain biking and women's uh, road racing in particular. But before that, I, I will have your listeners know, and, and as, as well as you know, um, I used to race uh, quite a bit of triathlon as well. Uh, in, in college, we started a cycling team in a triathlon club at the University of Wisconsin in La Crosse. And, uh, my, my friend Isaac and I, um, just started racing a bunch at, I was wrestling as well. So I have a team sport background, raced a lot of triathlon and, uh, raced a lot of Xterra as well. So, um, I still coach, uh, triathletes as well as mountain bikers and cyclists. Uh, and I currently now live in Washington, DC with my fiance, Kristen. Perfect. That's a great introduction. And, uh, that's one of the reasons actually that I'm talking to you that we are going to take the the perspective i guess for this episode of a cyclist and a cyclist that might be doing several different disciplines like for example focusing on both mountain biking and uh, and road racing perhaps and and then maybe later on they might be doing uh, doing some cross racing when when that season is on which uh, i guess is right now uh, at least over there in the united states yeah. so uh, yeah yep, so it gives right. you a great position to talk about all of these things and and i guess if we start there, how much, if you are a cyclist and you are doing different disciplines, what is the trade-off between focusing on just one single discipline year-round versus racing different uh, disciplines and still performing at a high level? Can you elaborate on your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I think in short, it, it, where I would start is just I would ask the athlete that I'd be working with or you know, ask yourself, what do you want to achieve in that single discipline? Like how focused do you want to be and how high of a performance goal do you have? Is it participatory or do you want to win? Winning meaning whatever category you race and all that kind of stuff. Um, in addition to that, you have to have an assessment of your past history in that discipline as well. Um, it, before you can kind of say, how much focus do I need? For example, if, if you raced mountain bikes at a high level, and now, you know, you, you're married, have a couple of kids and, uh, you want to go and race the Swiss Epic mountain bike stage race. Chances are because the, that, that's a proper mountain bike race. Don't get me wrong, but it's not overly technical. Um, it's a five day staged event, very endurance driven. And for that situation, it might be somewhere, uh, you know, you just spend a lot of time training on the road 
and then just ride the mountain bike a little bit more leading up to the event and you'll be fine. Meanwhile, uh, if you do have, you know, if you want to win your age group or say you are aspiring professional and you're trying to win a national championship, at some point you're going to have to steer the majority of the training onto the mountain bike for the specificity purposes of the sport in particular. Uh, so <laughs> it's not, this isn't as actionable, um, or uh, kind of a black and white, but I would say the takeaways would be in the general base training. Yeah. As long as you're on a bike, uh, getting aerobic training and maybe some tempo and threshold work. And then as the, uh, event draws near, that's when you want to spend more time on the mountain bike focusing on uh, what you need to work on specifically. So if you're racing mountain bike in the in the summer, for example, and you might be targeting some yep. uh, spring uh, road races, you could potentially do a base uh, training phase during the winter and then focus for, let's say, a couple of months on the road racing and get the specific training for that and then get the specific training for the mountain biking after that road racing phase and then maybe even go into cross in uh, in the fall do i hear you right is is that still something that is possible and still perform at a high level like winning or or going on the podium in your age group yeah you're, you're hearing me right there and I, and i think if you can this is probably even more simplistic focus on two things strengths and weaknesses and specificity you want to focus on your weaknesses further out from the main event So in the, say it's mountain biking, cross country national championships in the summer, and we're entering in the fall winter time period, I would actually, I do have my athletes who need to focus on technical riding. They'll be in Utah right now. It's the off season, but they're just going out and riding technical stuff, having fun, uh, sessioning on lines and things like that. And as it leads up to the event, then then they may have their base training and everything on the road. And then as it's leading up to the event, what we want to kind of stitch together is is uh, focusing on the mountain bike more. So maybe 60, 70% of the training is going to be on the mountain bike leading up to that event, whereas it might be 60% on the road bike leading into that. But their strengths and weaknesses, their weaknesses need to be addressed further out from the event, focus on their strengths leading into the event. And then that time in between should be focused on energy system training. So let's uh, continue on with that example, because that's uh, a great example that you set up. What would then the training periodization look like if we go deeper? So focusing on the weaknesses when you're far out from the event and specificity closer to the to the event. Yeah. Uh, if you go into things like the, the energy systems and uh, the metabolic training, uh, what type of training yep. would you be doing at which points during that long like a big picture overview of what you would generally do <laughs> yeah so this is actually kind of an interesting subject because for i would say for a lot of us out there uh you, you probably read joel friel's uh, uh triathlon oh, yeah. bible right yeah yeah absolutely everybody has right and even before that a lot of us um that kind of grew up with the periodization model uh know the name tutor bumpa who was kind of the grandfather of periodization kind of coming out of the Eastern Bloc. And traditional periodization always has this, you know, base preparatory specialization phases, I mean, with subsets of each. And as we progress as physiologists and coaches, that has been turned on the head slightly. And so kind of getting back to your 
specific question, the way I coach now is again, I always look at the, the kind of the history of the athlete, the chronological age, as well as the training age of the athlete. And that sets up the general periodization scheme. When I'm working with an established athlete or somebody who's been doing this a while, I then go back to the strengths and weaknesses or strengths and limiters, as I kind of call it now, um, assessment and where their goal event is. And if we're further out, I'm working on the limiters, which let's take this mountain bike national championship example. And if, and if the athlete's limiter, if it's a woman, for example, and they, uh, don't have much of the upper end, like anaerobic capacity, um, and overall strength and power, their training right now might actually incorporate a lot of hard one minute efforts or 30 second uh, sprints of sorts. And in the weight room, we may be doing some pretty heavy lifting, uh, working on generating overall force and strength. Meanwhile, we might be riding, as I described, some technical fun terrain in, in, um, in the West of the United States, which generally has more chunky technical, you know, very demanding terrain, but it's done in a, in a non- structured way meaning there's no intervals it's like go out with your friends three to four hours and ride some technical stuff go out or, you know be out for five hours that kind of thing um, what if what if, if i throw a curveball at yeah. you and uh, what yeah. if this uh, person lives in i don't know chicago and uh, it's yeah. uh, a cold winter and they're stuck on a trainer throughout the winter what would that be replaced by that technical riding going out and having fun on the trails in utah <laughs> yep so great question as well the only thing I, so I would still do say this person needed to work on anaerobic capacity and strength and force, uh, production. I would still have them do the, you know, anything from 10 second to 60 second intervals. And that can be done on the trainer as well. Uh, and, and I would still go heavy in the weight room, um, with those goals. But yeah, in terms of, uh, technical riding, uh, we're not going to get it, you know, done in Chicago. So it might be something where, uh, we take a family vacation out west or somewhere where it's going to be fun to ride and, you know, plan a little camp or something like that. Meanwhile, uh, I've had athletes in Chicago as well. And uh, when it does get cold like it is now and they get some snow, they got a fat bike. We can always go out and start ripping around on that and have some fun. Yeah, yeah, that's uh that's actually a, a thing that I didn't even think about because as triathletes, we don't really have a triathlon bike and a road bike, and then you're you're stuck indoors. <laughs> I told you, I'm, I'm in Finland right now for three months, and yeah, yeah, I probably yeah. expect to not be out on the road for until I get back to Portugal end of January. You got to get a fat bike, man. It's so I, fun. I should. I know. I know. <laughs> and if you just land in a, I'm, I'm staying with my parents right now, and I don't know how they would feel about me sticking a bike into their garage and then going off to my apartment in Lisbon and and leaving it there with for them to deal with <laughs> if they loved it they'd let you do it so <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'll, I'll use that i'll take, take that clip and, and play it to them yeah that's a pro tip there <laughs> anyway. all right so yeah keep going with uh, with the example and um, the periodization and uh, yeah the metabolic so, training. so again and that's what i'm trying and that's and it's counterintuitive to say base miles or you know long slow training it, because if if the athlete has had some miles underneath their belt, let's just say two to three years of fairly structured training, I, I would make the strength and limiter assessment and start working on their limiters and have really high quality uh, training in their quote unquote base period. And I call that strengthening the base 
not necessarily establishing a base. And so where we would take it from there is with a typical age group athlete or even a professional aspiring athlete, we would kind of take that strengthening of the base approach probably through the new year. And then I'd start to uh, work on threshold development, um, lactate threshold, FTP development, whatever you want to call it, whatever your lingo is, because January through February, we need to, we need to increase uh, lactate threshold, which is best bang for the buck for pretty much any aerobic sport that is three hours and less and has a performance aspect to it. Um, and mountain bike racing here in North America, as well as your neck of the woods, um, does start to kick up in March. So you, you gotta be ready in the single track come March, uh, to have the, the highs, lows and technical aspects of what single track mountain biking, uh, looks like. So threshold all the way through March, we start racing. And then from there, you got to get creative in between, racing blocks in terms of what you work on when and try not to make them too tired yeah let's let's get into that that's actually a really good topic yeah. but first um the uh the threshold block what what type of can you yeah. give an example of a, of a typical week during this block how much threshold training do you do and what might a typical session look like yep yep so again a lot of my a lot of my coaching uh is very individual and so the reason why I start off with that is if, if your listeners are familiar with power duration curves and have tuned into what Andy Coggin, Tim Kusick, and a lot of these guys at Training Peaks and WKO4 and 5 are doing is they're, they're just a straight up power duration curve. Power duration curve looks at your mean max power, your highest average power uh, from one second all the way out to your longest ride. It's a sigmoidal curve. And I'm using all these, and I'll keep it really simple, but basically it shows us how good you can sprint, how long you can carry it, how good's your threshold, how good's your endurance. And so that gives me an assessment of where we're sitting on a rolling 90 day average at any given time period. And what I want to do is I want to make it really simple. I want to either train them intensively or extensively for short or long term. And as I lead up to the specificity, um, of the event, I tune into that. But for when it comes down to threshold training, I want to typically extend the amount of time that they can tolerate threshold and then increase it as we get into, say, racing season. So what that looks like is I, I see what they can do to begin with. And say it could be 250 watts for 33 minutes is what they can tolerate. So if all they can do is tolerate 30 minutes or so, I'll, I'll start with three by 10 on Tuesday. And again, depending on the chronological age, how, what they can tolerate, I might actually block it up. So give them three by 10 on Tuesday, three by 10 or three by eight again on Wednesday, and then just an endurance ride um, on, on Thursday. And I'll block, I'll use block training uh, to, to overload the threshold system, make them tired in a specific way so that when they rest, they s super compensate, get better. And then we can do more next week. Okay. Three by 10 is actually, it's not that bad of a workout. That's not that hard. And in where I'm talking about three by 10 at threshold, that perceived effort should be like an eight out of 10. Um, if 10 is a max effort, so you're not going all out. You can probably sit here if you and I were doing some of these sub-threshold or threshold intervals, we can still talk 
but in broken segments like this. So you can still talk. You can't, but whatever. Um, but I would say, so for a lot of people out there, three by 10 or even four by 10 is a great place to start 30 to 40 minutes of threshold work time for any given session. We should be able to start there, have a great workout, overload the system slightly. But here's the kind of takeaway is many athletes I coach, many people out there think that, okay, if I had a hard interval day on Thursday like that, almost as much as I can tolerate from a threshold standpoint, the next day should be easy. And that's not, that's not the, the point. If we're trying to actually make a dent in, <laughs> in this thing and get you tired, which is the whole point of training is to fatigue, then I actually want to come back and do it again the next day. You know, maybe slightly less, assuming that you're getting your sleep and your food and staying hydrated, all that kind of stuff, all systems on board. Yeah, we should be able to do it again the next day and get yourself tired. That's good because then you rest, then you get better. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, it's a very interesting approach. Yeah. And and I guess that uh, one thing that that approach sort of counteracts is uh, the need to mm -hmm. feel that you have to do real big monster workouts like doing six yep. times 10 exactly. or seven times 10 or eight times 10 so you can break it up yep. into two two workouts on consecutive days so yeah it's very interesting yep 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 and so kind of bring it full circle here i would encourage your listeners and everybody who is listening to to maybe sometimes think not only in terms of a week cycle but in terms of blocks of training and what you're trying to do because i might run my athletes four days hard, a day easy, give them a rest day, and then go again. And that's not a full week. Okay. But in, but in the grand scheme of a week, and I would say for, say, you know, master's racer, even myself, somebody who's got maybe 10 hours a week, I, I would probably even Tuesday, Wednesday, hard, Thursday, medium, Friday, easy, hard group ride on, on um, Saturday, long ride on Sunday, Monday off. You know, it looks like that for a threshold block. Mm, yeah. Okay. That's a perfect description. And yep. uh, what about, do you follow any particular mesocycle structure? Like some uh, common examples would be three weeks of harder training, one week of easier training. Do you do anything like that with the mesocycles or what's your approach on that? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, the reason why I answer it like that is as I alluded to before, some of this traditional periodization modeling is starting to, you know, get a different look on it because traditional periodization does work. Don't get me wrong. It is, and it is great. But it, what we should do is look at why we're doing it and is there a more effective way of doing it? And so, yes, Uh, to answer your question, I do follow uh, some traditional periodization modeling like that. However, as I get to know the athlete more, I tend to not base it because I base everything upon what their life looks like as well. So what I, what I typically find is for anybody who's doing less than 20 hours a week, okay, which is a lot of us, okay, because 20 hours and plus, it's crazy. That's professional type stuff, right? Uh, however, it's needed for certain time periods, even for professional people. So don't get me wrong. But if we're taking care of ourselves, meaning food, recovery, sleep, all this kind of stuff, we're doing that well, we can, you can go, you can train hard for four, five, six weeks with taking, again, these blocks of recovery, three days easy. 
Okay. After you overloaded yourself for four or five days in a row, then three blocks easy, three days easy. And then what you do is you kind of chunk it in a overloading pattern to make sure that you're getting kind of tired up against the ropes, as I like to tell my athletes, before we take that recovery block. And then we go back and, and it's actually a much more efficient way that fits into many people's lives that have regular jobs because we can freshen up over a long weekend, a family vacation or something like that. And we don't have to take, you know, seven days completely off because we haven't induced so much training that we need seven days completely off on a regular basis. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And the reason that I face the question like that is is mostly just to exemplify what what I'm after. I I fully agree that the free on one off isn't necessarily the the best way to to go about yeah. things, but actually an individual approach based on when the athlete actually needs the rest, and that is going to vary from athlete to athlete, is uh, is the yeah. way to go. So yeah. a follow up on that: How do you know when the athlete is up against the ropes, as you say? And uh, on the flip side, if an athlete is self-coached, how can they mm-hmm. tell when when they are at that point when they should take that that rest uh, that rest block the the days that where they get really easy for a few days? Yeah, great questions. Um, two things I tell my athletes often is you don't know where the edge is until you go find it. I guess that's one thing, and I'll say the other thing here in a minute. And what I mean by the edge is not only within a given day, but also within a given training period where how tired can we make you before you can't do it anymore before you're in, and it goes in and that's a tricky one because you don't want to, you don't want to induce injury. You don't want to get them sick. You don't want to do all this kind of stuff. So you want to find your edge in a training block where it doesn't matter if you get sick or what, I mean, you never want to do an injury. Get, let's just under like, let's agree on that. But getting tired to the point of maybe a little sickness or something like that. I mean, it sounds crazy as we're sitting here talking, but let's see what you can do before you crack. And I really, again, I, I work with my athletes individually, whether it's face to face or, you know, virtually kind of like what we're doing here. But I'll do it either way because I want to know where that athlete's edge is. I want to see how much I can get out of them before they crack. Okay. Now for self-coach athletes or athletes who are coached, the other thing I say is know thyself. You have to get to know who you are and what your thoughts are when you're going really hard, when you're going really long and you're trying to induce this training fatigue and you have to remind yourself, why, like, why the hell am I doing this? It's to get better. It's to whatever your goal is. Why am I, why am I doing it? To achieve my goal. And the whole point of training is to get tired. So you super compensate and get more resilient, stronger, faster than you were before. So know thyself and go find your edge. Um, and I went off on a really big tangent there. <laughs> Can you remind me of the question? I'll, I'll come back to that tangent because I have a follow-up, but keep going for now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, um, in terms of the question that you ask in terms of like, okay, how much training do you induce? Is that, <laughs> that's what we were going for, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, how do you know yeah. that they're tired, right? Yeah. So you want to find that edge. And I really, the answer to that is you gotta be in, 
in tune with yourself and you have to be in touch with your athlete if you're coaching them every day and just text, call, whatever, and make sure that each day when you're trying to find the edge, each day you're in touch with them and you pull the plug just before the edge happens because you don't want to push them off the edge. That's my takeaway point. You want to find the edge, but don't jump off. And so the follow-up is when you find that point, do you have any system for actually then sort of uh, quote-unquote quantifying where the edge is? Do you use something like HRV or do you use uh, the performance management chart or do you use just the accumulated training load in hours on a rolling seven-day average or something like that? Or, or, Or is it more of a... I guess, perception-based analysis from you as a coach and based on things like the comments from the athletes, et cetera. Yeah, it's it's a mixed bag right now. Um, and if you've read, I'm sure you, I mean, you, I'm a big Alex Hutchinson fan. So if, if yeah. anyone listening has not read his book, Endure, go do it, please. It's, it's phenomenal. The reason why I say that is the mind has a big capacity to go beyond what we think we can do. And so, and we can't measure that yet. However, we have all these other cool things that we can measure. Um, and of the cool things that I try to capture is uh, again, I, I measure power pace. Okay. So if it's a, if it's an edge finding workout, I'm going to measure heart rate, power or pace, uh, speed, perceived effort, and anything else that's on the GPS device. Cause I'll, I'll capture it all, but power pace, perceived effort, that in heart rate, th- those are the main things within edge finding workout within the block of what we're trying to capture. I'm measuring, yeah, like a TSS or a trim score on, on the day, as well as a rolling kind of, let's just call it a seven day, um, uh, rolling average and RPE of all sessions. And there's a way that I'll, kind of um, measure that for the week as well. Um, and then time in zones, whether it's power or pace, I want to see how much time I've accumulated in a specific training zone of whatever the specificity of what we're trying to achieve, energy system training or the specificity of the sport or something like that. And I want to see where they cracked. I want to see how much TSS, I want to see how much power, I want to see how much time in tempo zone that they could accumulate before they said I'm done. Yeah. All clear. Got it. So, uh, where did we leave off? I guess we were talking about the, the threshold period and then we're going into the racing (laughs) season and, uh, and that's, yeah, that's where we can perhaps jump back in because uh, let's say that you do start racing in March, as you say, and then you have nationals in, in summer and you have races in between, uh, what do you? Yep. What type of training do you do the, when when you get to that racing phase of the season? Yeah, great, great question. I, and I first want to say, everybody listening to you right now, like I'm, I'm not like I'm not a complete <laughs> militaristic uh, idiot coach here. The, the what I just described in terms of edge finding, I don't do that often. You do that maybe once or twice a year with uh, for yourself or with your athlete to establish where we're at and then we go on from there. So, and that would be a very intensive threshold block. And so kind of once we figure out where we're at and then as we're getting into race season, um, 
I think the best way to describe it, because a lot of people, and Michael, do you, do you use training peaks for yes, monitoring? Yes. Okay. And I think a lot of athletes out there use that. And I think the best way to describe this is if we go to the performance management management chart and we have this accumulated fitness score or CTL, I tend to, for single day mountain bike racers or even uh, like Xterra racers, I'll, I'll get the CTL or the fitness really high. And for those people who don't use training peaks, what I'm doing is I'm, we're doing a lot of training and getting your tolerance of training up really high before race season. And then I'll bring that down, um, coming into say the first block of racing or, uh, a block where it matters for performance. So I'll, I'll intentionally bring CTL down or fitness down and I'll bring up the freshness. And the reason why I do, and I'll, and I'll do that typically with volume, I'll bring the volume down to freshen them up, but I'll keep some threshold training in the mix, call it maybe, maybe this, the same or 80% of the total volume of threshold training that I have been doing, but I'll bring volume down by 40 or 50% and then do the block of training. And then it is, um, I would say it's hard to describe mathematically or even verbally what I do say in between races, because it's more based on communication and kind of maintenance in between, uh, races to make sure that we're not overdoing it. Because if we do it right in the preparatory phase, you don't need much during the racing. And I think that's the other, that, that could be a takeaway is what it takes to get, what it takes to stay fit is not what it takes to get fit. What is meaning what, once you, what, what is a typical scenario yeah. in terms of a racing schedule? Is it uh, no. one race per month perhaps, or might it be as much as, you know, three or two, four races per month? What, what do you typically see with your athletes? Yeah. Um, great question. And I, I would say probably the, just let's go two examples of that would be the one per month, which I think a lot of us with jobs do, uh, or even one every two months. Um, and then blocks of three or four race weekends in a row, which is typical of a cross country mountain bike racer, road racer, crit racer, um, and things like that. Triathletes, exterior uh, athletes, depending on who you are, might be one a month. And so let's take the three or four weeks in a row of racing. Let's take that for example. A lot of that will be racing on the weekends, probably both days. Monday off, Tuesday real easy. Wednesday for the mountain bikers, just get back in single track. Um, kind of flowy, punchy, opening things back up. Thursday might be a hard ride. If we're not pre-riding on the course, Friday might be some hard openers, but volume really low. And then we're racing again the weekend. So it's really not much. Probably have like one day of actual like hard training where we're not inducing a training effect. And then the race weekends are, are both pretty hard. And how hard is the, is the first day hard ride if we compare it to some of the hard workouts you would have been doing in the preparatory phase? Yeah. Is, is volume still down a little bit or is it more or less something that you could have been doing a couple of weeks prior when you were in the, the really heavy block of training? Yeah. Volume's down by, volume's down by probably 30%, 30 or 40%. And that hard ride on Thursday might be 
might be at the same intensity, just not the total time of intensity of like a hard threshold day. It might be yeah. like a, a race simulation, but for shorter. Hmm. Yep. Got it. And uh, and the other example, then, if we're racing roughly once per month or so, yep. how would you then maintain fitness between races? So then what I would do is the week after the race, that would be, a rec- I would call it a re- recovery block. And for most people, probably four or five days of, you know, true hard recovery, two to three, you know, probably two days of doing nothing, like not even an easy swim or an easy ride or anything. Um and then just some active recovery. And then I get back to work with, you know, endurance over that weekend. And that would be the first recovery week. From there, I would assess how good the race went or what we learned and assess based on the performance of where we need to work on. And then you'll, you'll have probably a two week window of perhaps refining or working on an energy system or, or a specificity of the racing that we need to work on before we probably take a 10, like a seven or 10 day taper leading into that next race, depending on how long that race is. Let's just assume it's three hours and less. Um, but yeah, you'd have a good two week chunk of training where you can work on something before you freshen up and keep things normal going into the next race. Yeah. And what would be typical in that and what that would look like. Yeah. I'm sorry, just just go on. <laughs> yeah, that typical. Yeah, yeah, that typical. Uh, let's just call it a 12 day block. Um, that'd be pretty hard, you know. I, I would say for an Xterra racer who, if we're coming into a regional qualifier or something like that, and we do need to work on like race specific race specificity and let's just say the mountain bike specificity of a, like a hard demanding course. I'd, I'd bring them through a block of VO two work, which may be three, two to three minute all out efforts on the bike with two to three minutes recovering between. So all out effort with, you know, just enough recovery over and over again, because it's power for repeatability. It's pace for repeatability on those hard exterior courses because it's on trail where you, just, you have to push through, uh, you have to, you know, push through that rock garden. You have to get up that hill and these max massive efforts. And then you don't have much time before you just, you know, you keep cruising. So I go probably hard on Tuesday like that medium or easy on Wednesday. And then another hard Tuesday. And what I'm doing there is I'm inducing a training effect and allowing for, full recovery where I go for another training effect because what I don't want is to find that edge and have them fall over at that point. So I, I, uh, put in more recovery into the grand scheme of things, especially when I'm going harder with them. Yeah. And, uh, just a detail, detailed question here. How, yeah. what, what sort of total duration at VO2 power are you looking for in a session? Yeah. So coaching gut instinct here, I want at least 15 minutes of time in zone. If I'm going for a race specificity VO2 workout and probably up to 20 to 25, depending on who they are, that may sound like a lot, but what that looks like is, uh, like five by three minutes with three minutes in between or eight by two minutes with two minutes in between for a hard bike workout. Yep. 
if I'm doing a run workout, what that looks like is maybe five times a thousand on the track, or let's just say, uh, I want probably at least 90 seconds and up to five minutes for a VO2 interval. And then I want at least 15 minutes of total time. Yeah. If not up to 25 with ample recovery period. But here's, here's another good takeaway. A lot of people think that they're doing 60 second efforts and that's VO2. It's not, uh-uh. it's gotta be at least 90 seconds to get the, the maximum aerobic benefit out of there. And that's minimal. And then typically I would encourage the athletes to go longer three, four, five minutes really hard and then take the recovery one-to-one work to rest ratio and then go from there. This is a, a total tangent, but might be interesting to uh, to mention at this yeah. point. I just today I read uh, or I looked at skimmed through two studies, relatively new, by Veronique Bia, who has done a lot of training on hit and uh, or research on hit, and Ben Trenestad in Norway, who has done the same. And uh, yeah. both of their new uh, papers, they were investigating sort of pacing during VO two intervals and how you yeah. can potentially get much more time close to your vo2 max by going harder initially in those we have two repetitions and so you might do a, a two minute interval for example but if you start 100%. but if you started at 130 percent of ftp and then you gradually go down towards even just finishing up at 100 percent ftp you will be spending more time at at vo2 compared to if you spend that entire time at 150% FTP, even though the the average power is exactly the same. So that was pretty interesting and probably something that I'll do an episode on later once I've read the, the papers and, and have a bit more knowledge. But uh, but a pretty pretty interesting thing that I that fitted right in here with, with the discussion about the VO2 intervals. Yeah, no, it's a wonderful discussion. That's a great takeaway uh, for anybody who wants to try these things. Um, at CTS, we call them uh, peak and fade intervals. Um, you might hear front loaded, uh, intervals as well, but that generally gives the best VO2 response or elicits the VO2 max that you're trying to achieve. It's also a very race specific training method because every, uh, mountain bike, road, exterior, all, all these mass starts, it's toe on the line, gun goes off and go max effort. No one, (laughs) I mean, there's events too, especially the longer you go, you don't just, ease into a cross-country mountain bike race right like you don't just ease into an xterra swim i mean you're sprinting to the water and then (laughs) dive in and start sprinting into the water you know what i mean so it's like you got to train like that yeah no totally um so where where were we 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 discussed the yeah the block between races and uh i guess another follow-up on on this race phase is how long I guess if we're talking about peaking, um, maybe in, in the example where we do race every month, we're not really peaking per se. We're more so trying to maintain a consistent fitness level. Or how do you look at really peaking and sustaining peaks and uh, and those sorts of things? Uh, yeah, it is the art of coaching and performing. And it is a... Um, it's a tricky one for sure. So, and it's a tricky uh, question to try to answer. I will also say that it's very individualistic. So you want to, and the best takeaway I would say is practice your taper. 
practice freshening up because the whole, what you're trying to do with a taper is you're, you're trying to predict performance. You're trying to predict a method to get the most out of yourself as an athlete. And whether that takes seven days or 10 days or 14 days or 21 days depends on you, the athlete, and it depends on the, the goal event that you're, that you're going for and some of the specificities and durations of that event. So I know that's like kind of loaded, but if there's anything that you take away is like practice your taper with, let's just say B events, B or C events where the risk, you know, it's not too risky to do. And what you should do is know thyself going into that A event, be confident in your taper and do it. So let's take a look at what I would say some fairly foolproof tapers would look like for the majority of athletes out there. Um, for one day events that are, you know, again, three hours and less two weeks out, I would drop volume. I would keep intensity in there, if not increase intensity for the, the training session and then give a full 24 to 48 hours of recovery time before the next hard session. So two week taper before the main event, bring down the volume by a lot, 40 or 50%, keep intensity really high, increase your sleep and go into that main event, you know, as fresh as possible. So let's, uh, Look at the example again of somebody preparing for cross uh, for yeah cross country nationals. That's in is it in yeah. June or July or when it, when is it in the United typically, States? Typically, typically mid to end of July for United States. Okay, so if you start racing in March and you have uh, you have a, a race roughly every every month or so, and then you have your A races uh, cross country nationals, then how? How would you then try to make sure that they are in absolute peak fitness at that at that time in July? And, and not peaking, yep. you know, in their first few races in, in March or April. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, do the first round of training, first block of racing, reassess to see what we need to do. Typically we need to put in another bout of, uh, say threshold VO2 training that would also with volume that would increase CTL or overall fitness. I would bring that out to June with training events, call them B races, B events. Um, and then as we hit the beginning of July, I'd probably end that cycle of training. I would freshen them up with a recovery block and then have a very specific race specific VO2 intensity specific um lead in taper to national championships and what that looked like is so I'd be bringing CTL down I would have intensity remain high if not higher on key training days which may be let's just call it Tuesday Thursday and Saturday and everything else in between is fairly easy or uh, single track riding to keep a feel with the single track. Um, and I would two weeks out, I would have three days, one week out. I may have two days with pre-riding pre-riding is a whole other thing that doesn't need to be discussed right now, <laughs> but I would, uh, 
I would taper down in a method that would decrease volume quite a bit, keep intensity high, and uh, maximize recovery going into that single day event. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. let's move on. I have a few sort of quick sure. fire questions or just topics for you to give your long or short opinion on. So let's start yeah. with your and uh, and again in the context of of cyclists specifically yeah. since we're focusing on cycling mainly. So yeah. training volume. Training volume just as a rapid fire question. Don't like it. Yeah. It 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 doesn't have to be super rapid. It's uh, how much however yeah, much don't you like talk it. about it. Your thoughts that come to mind. You don't like it. Uh, so so you like lower volume. <laughs> yeah. What, so what is it that I, and that's just, I mean, that's a little tongue in cheek. I love the long rides and all that kind of stuff as a coach, but I just don't like spending all my time on a bike anymore. There's just like better things to do in the world. Um, <laughs> like coach athletes. Uh, but, uh, uh, okay. But we're still, we're still, we're still talking about you coaching athletes that are uh, interested in maximizing their performance. So that's the, the context ah, here. So okay. what's your thoughts on the importance of training volume for the athlete that we're discussing here, that's uh, trying to go for a good performance at nationals, yeah, yeah. Perfect, for example. Perfect. Um, so volume, I think for a lot of us, we have to realize that is it's twofold. It's, uh, great for aerobic base training, and it's also a specificity of an event that we're trying to do. So cross-country mountain bike, for example, volume is not a huge component. So going out and doing six, seven, eight-hour rides, especially leading up to the event, not going to help you. It'll definitely hinder you because the the event is so short, 90 minutes or 90 100 to 100 minutes for a format. Uh, so volume's not needed in that time period. And then I would say take a strong look at how much volume you actually need, even in a base uh, period. And what people yeah. yeah, need to realize is the specificity of the volume relative to everything else that they're trying to do. What would be a typical weekly volume during the, uh, the, uh, the preparatory phase for an advanced amateur athlete preparing for, uh, for cross-country nationals? 12 to 15 hours. Okay. Uh, next one, the balance of high and low intensity. Um, yeah, the balance. Uh, <laughs> I get pretty metaphorical. I don't think that there's, yeah, balance. I don't think that there is balance. I think there's just homeostasis relative to what we're trying to achieve. So I like to get out of balance to have a better new balance. And so, I like to really, I like to really fatigue my athletes before I pull them back. Um, but I don't think it should be overlooked to getting sick. So how do you keep balance three days a week of really hard intensity? If you're doing everything else right, that should be enough to drive performance. Yeah. And, uh, the, uh, finding the edge and, and also the consecutive day hard workouts, those yeah. already spoke quite a lot to, to the approach here. Um, Training on the road yep. or outdoors in general versus on the trainer? Yeah. Um, I think that if you live in an area where you can be outside, outside more often is always the best. And that can go in line with balance too, because there's a lot of other benefits that we get from being outside, whether it's the fresh air, the sunshine, the social interactions, the the feel and technical aspects of a bicycle uh, and actually how to ride it. Um, so always outside, 
However, with the virtual platforms we have now and the road feel of trainers, the Wahoo kicker, uh, for example, it's like, man, what a fantastic indoor riding experience. So if you live in Chicago and it's 18 degrees with snow flying everywhere right now and you need to get a workout in, yeah, yeah, ride the trainer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if your athletes are riding a trainer, do you, what's your thought on erg mode? I, I take erg mode off. And the reason for it is the best way I can describe it is erg mode makes erg mode makes you uh pushes back for the power versus making you push for the power so if you take erg mode off you produce the power versus pushing against it and it makes for a far better road feel as well as if you do get bogged down or you drop say something on the ground you have to pause quick or something and you try to get back on and overcome the erg mode the amount of force that you need to produce to overcome that and get to spinning back to normal cadence isn't good I don't even deal with it. I just take, tell my athletes to take it off or above, personally. Yeah. A nutrition on the bike during training. Yeah. So this is a really interesting topic that we could probably have a whole other podcast about, but I split it into two different uh, ways. If we're, tr- if we're trying to do performance, meaning really hard workouts, two hours and less, hydration first and foremost with electrolytes and some sugar for that performance aspect. If it's two hours and more, we need more calories as well as hydration on board. Uh, if we're doing two hours and less with not too many performance aspects, just endurance or aerobic riding, water's fine. And then if you're trying to do something from a fuel utilization standpoint, meaning try to burn fat better, carbohydrate better, whatever, then, um, if you're trying, uh, then you need to take a look at what you're doing, even leading up to the bike as well as on the bike, which if it's fuel utilization, try to burn fat more, uh, you want to go on with empty stomach and just drink water, but you can't do too much intensity while you're doing that typically. Yeah. So how often would you do that? Uh, like how many times per week, for example, and during what time of the year would you be doing that? Base training is the best kind of time period to do it. If we're not doing anything high intensity, I just, and I would do it pretty much all the time because there's no, pretty much all the time. If we don't have performance markers, two hours and less, and you're in a fairly well-fed state, meaning not overly depleted from previous training mm. because it, there's no benefit or there's no decrement behind so that that might be three or four rides per week if you have three hard rides and and then the rest would be uh exactly okay yeah exactly um next one physiological testing like lactate testing or metabolic testing in a lab um for professional athletes who have it as an option great yeah i think it's always good to capture that for a lot of other people, professional people out there in the world. If you have accurate and consistent pace and power measuring devices, you no longer need to go and do that um, because we can capture everything and also model physiological markers now with all the data that we do have um, in certain wearables too. So I don't, I think that the days of the laboratory for the like amateur athlete, kind of i don't want to say over but 
it's pretty good now with um, mobile devices. And I think that most listeners already got it because we've interviewed Team Q6 several times, but it sounds like you're uh, using WKO and that does some of the modeling that, that you're talking about here. Yeah, WKO does a really good job of doing that. But even, I mean, you know, say you're looking at Training Peaks Online or you're lo- looking at uh, Strava, you're looking at Garmin, I mean, all these things, whatever you're doing to measure and monitor your uh, and some are better than others. Let's let's also agree. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff out there where you can even a power duration or a pace duration, something like that. Just make sure that you're improving. Make sure that you're going faster or you're holding that same pace for longer. You don't need to know necessarily, right? What your VO2 max is, if that's the case. If I, if I held my eight minute per mile for. 10 minutes longer this week compared to last week yeah i'm moving in the right direction yeah for sure and uh final one uh, as of these quick fire questions rest and recovery and i we have already talked quite a lot about that so but uh to wrap it up and summarize your thoughts on that again human beings have been looking for the holy grail or the fountain of youth and i think we've always had it it's called sleep if you uh Overlook sleep, you you overlook recovery, and you get it all wrong for training. Yeah, that's perfect. And I I gotta uh, make. <laughs> I mean, an, that's um, a recommendation. A recommendation here for a book that I'm that I recommended before, and it's Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. It is uh, an absolutely fantastic book that I recommend everybody just, reads. Yeah. Not not just athletes, but any yeah. human being. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, I can't wait to read it. Can't wait to read it. And finally, this can be a bit of a longer discussion. Uh, if you want to take it that way, what are your thoughts on strength and conditioning for cyclists or endurance athletes in general? Yeah, I think we should have a, a whole other podcast about this. Um, I've done quite a bit of work in this area, including some uh, research done at University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, and I think that in general, as long as you have time in your week to incorporate some form of strength and conditioning as a endurance athlete with performance goals and as a human being with health goals, I think it should be there. And there's no, it, when done properly there in, you have good recovery and all this concept, kind of there's no decrement. There's a lot of benefits that can be gleaned from it, including uh, force production uh, including overall health, including strength through range of motion. So I'm a big proponent of it. However, I'll say this with busy people in everything, I go bang for the buck. And if we're trying to win a national championship or we're try- it's probably the first thing to be scrapped when it comes down to cycling or uh, cycling or endurance performance It's just like that prevails relative to everything else. So I th- think it should be included firm believer in it however it's not going to make you a world champion your actual endurance training will make you perform better and if you're in a position where you can include it how do you recommend going about it uh, talk a little bit about how many sessions and uh, do you have to go into the gym or can you do, you do a lot of home-based workouts and, and what type of strength and conditioning do you recommend yeah so i'd say it goes back to even our original um way of how i set up you know, a training program for an athlete, there's strengths limiters, and then there's the overall season, right? So, um, in general, if I do it in the off season or a base 
training. I'm going to keep some form or version all the way through racing. In general, I'll start with a gym format type thing. If you can't get there, do a home base thing. And then as we go into race season, I generally will will keep more body weight uh, movements, non-gym based type stuff because of either travel or busyness or whatever. If they can still get to the gym, we'll do that. Um, but I go with full body functional movements, uh, focused on the core as, as well as, um, uh, like hip explosion and force production. That's the best way I can describe, uh, what I would prescribe. And I would say if you're spending more than an hour in the gym or more than an hour at the home gym doing this, uh, you're wasting time and two to three times per week in non-race season is good. And then one to two times per week during race season is good. Yeah, sounds good. And uh, some favorite exercises of yours, if you uh, pick just a few. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, pull up. So it's, it's a love hate, uh, but I think it's probably one of the best. Uh, incorporates pretty much the entire body uh, to do that. And then uh, similarly, uh, a back squat. And it's two very traditional, very simple movements, um, but they elicit some pretty uh, pretty great responses in athletes. Um, yeah. As well as medicine ball wood chopper. That's just a fun one. Mm, yeah, that's a really good yeah. one. Really, uh, really good for that uh, rotary stability. Yeah. Um, where do you stand on the... In the reps versus weight spectrum. What's your philosophy on that? I love Stacy Sims quote from a conference I was just at, which she says, sometimes we just need to lift some heavy shit. And I hope I can say that on this podcast, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, lift heavy, uh, when it applies. And the reason why I say it in so sets and reps, I tend to go, Lower on the reps, higher on the quality of movement and higher velocity, uh, the speed of the movement. Um, and I may bring the rep ranges up to eight, maybe 12 at maximum, um, depending on what we're trying to do, but not hypertrophy with the goal. I'm always focused on uh, strength, uh, speed of movement and quality of movement. And so I'll do that with anywhere That's between nice. four to 12 reps. Yep. Yeah, got it. So I pretty much covered off all the list of questions that I had. Do you have anything else that you feel we should add to this discussion at this point before we move into the real rapid fire questions that I ask every single guest on the show? <laughs> yeah, the only thing I would add is, is you know, in terms of for a self-coached athlete, explore going beyond traditional periodization uh, with, you know, traditional three up one down, start to read and explore about block style training and then the specificity of the goal event that you're trying to achieve and dig deep into getting to know yourself and don't be afraid to go out there and find the edge. Cause you don't know where it's at until you go find it. Yeah. I love that summary. That's a really great way to, to wrap up with what we've been talking about here. So uh, for these rapid fire questions, answer them in one sentence or less. And the first one is what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to endurance sports? <laughs> the art of learning by Joshua Waitskins. And it's it covers all the things, but yet not this thing in particular. 
What's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? My mountain bike. Giant mountain. And what do you wish? Giant mountain bike. Yep. Got it. And what do you wish you had known or done differently at some point in your career? Yeah, I've been thinking about this one. Um, probably that it. <laughs> sometimes you just have to go harder or more than you think within that moment, but yet you don't have to do that very often. Good one. Thank you, Adam. Before we go, tell the listeners where they can uh, follow you, yeah. find out more about you. Uh, are you taking on coaching clients and uh, and all any things that you want to to plug? Feel free to do so. Sure. Yeah. Uh, definitely follow me on all the socials. Um, Instagram is at Adam Uh Facebook is Adam Pulford, and Twitter is I think is Coach AP. And uh, follow me there for sure. A lot of cool adventures um, around the world at different races and things that I'm doing. Uh, not really taking on any athletes at the moment. However, can definitely steer you in the direction of um, other great coaches that can help you elevate your performance. And uh, go to trainright.com because there you'll find a lot of um, what I'm doing as well as the other coaches and what we're trying to achieve in the world out there. And, and coming up, uh, also tune into the Train Right podcast, which tomorrow we uh, record our first session there. So uh, th- that's very exciting. Yeah, I had no idea. I'll definitely, <clears throat> excuse me, check that out. Yes, uh, that's uh, because that uh, CTS. Uh, so Train Right for those listeners that are not aware, trainright.com is the the website of CTS, and they're a business that uh, I really admire. Lot, lots of great, great, great coaches that among the best in the in the business. So uh, thank you once again, Adam, for coming on and sharing your experience and uh, and learnings. It was a real pre- pleasure talking to you. Uh, thank you, Miguel. And and you know we'll we'll have to have you on the Train Rep podcast and and just keep the conversation going on all these subjects because they're they're great stuff and I love what you're doing too. Looking forward to it. All right, man. Hope that you enjoyed that episode and that interview. I thought it was super interesting and uh, fascinating to hear about Adam's strategies and uh, really, really some gold nuggets there that uh, I am quite eager to try both in training and in coaching. And I guess the key takeaway, Adam himself wrapped it up pretty well there towards the end of the of the episode or the interview, but uh, I can repeat it here again, and that really is to challenge yourself in training and try to search for that edge without going over the edge that was the key takeaway from this episode even though there were many more topics that we discussed that were super important as well but at least to me this concept of finding your edge and searching for your edge was probably the most novel concept that uh, that we discussed so i was really excited to hear this strategy laid out by adam like this you can find the show notes for this episode on thattriathlonshow.com and we will have plenty of links there including links to CTS, Carmichael Training System, Systems and Adam's bio. We'll have links to all the cycling related episodes that have been done in the past just uh, for a quick reference. They can also be found directly under more and popular topics on the website menu and links to some of the podcast interviews that uh, i've done here on the podcast that adam mentioned including alex hutchinson stacy sims tim cusick and also john keely who i interviewed uh, 
quite some time back about how traditional periodization models aren't really based on any any relevant science so and that's something that adam uh, talked about quite a few times so i thought that would be a really relevant and related episode to include here in the related links in the next episode we will have a coaches roundtable with the james Lockie and myself on a topic that is yet to be decided by the time of this recording but we'll try to pick a really interesting topic so do subscribe to the podcast if you aren't already to make sure that you don't miss any episodes and of course as usual on Thursday there will be a Q&A coming up so I will see you then in the meantime if you enjoy the podcast please spread it to your friends and also rate and review on Apple Podcasts iTunes or wherever you can rate and review it uh, what I do is to rate and review on iTunes on the PC version because I don't have any Apple devices, but uh, I have an account and it is possible to download iTunes on the PC to write reviews for podcasts. So there's a little tip for you if you think that you don't have an iPhone so you can't review it. Uh, Please do that. The latest review that I got was a two-star review saying that this podcast pedals Big Pharma Dogma or something along those lines. So I would rather see that uh, that review go a bit down the line of reviews because I do not think that that is the case really. Big thanks to our sponsors Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test to get a hydration plan for your next race and get your first box or tube of electrolytes for free with the promo code DEATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. You can get 20% off your entire order, whether it's wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, or high-performance eyewear, on roka.com with the promo code TTS, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.